Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're continuing with a journey through the book of Mark, but it's just not with Mark. We're walking through the book of Mark with Jesus. And so we're going to have a great time today. I really believe God's going to transform us and changing us. And so we're looking into the Word. Everybody say the Word. And then we're teaching from the Word. Everybody say the Word. And then we're applying the Word. Everybody say the Word. So here's the reality. The Word of God is loaded with Power. It's loaded with strength. That's one of the things that God's really spoken to me as we as we have been into this series of really it's a conviction to really teach the word, preach the word. And because I know this is that God can use the word of God. It cleanses our minds. Very important we understand this. It cleanses our minds from the lies of the enemy that we have about God, that we have about ourselves. It cleanses our minds of the lies that, that we've believed about our, our own desires, that maybe we've elevated our own desires over the Word of God. It cleanses our minds but about the lies that we believed about ourselves, about our spouses, about our church, about uh, our leaders, about our children. And it sets us free because it is truth. And the Bible says the truth will what? Set you free. So that's... That's my desire today. That's one of the things where, that's why for me, just so you can hear a little bit of my heart and where I'm at and, and my journey with God now, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm, I'm set on preaching the Word of God. Because I, th- for this opportunity, when we gather as a church, Scripture is very clear that we gather, don't forsake the gathering of believers, that the Word of God should be preached and so I, I'm committed to not come here on, on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whenever it is that we're, that we're meeting and, and preach and proclaim ideas. You don't need my ideas, I promise you that. I, I don't come to proclaim um, a, a political agenda. Everybody say amen. amen. Something you need to know, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we get those confused. If you get those confused, you know what it is? You're confused because you don't understand. And Jesus is our word. Jesus is, is, is our guide. And Paul told Timothy, it's just a, this is just a little, this is a little setup for today. Paul told Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, who took over a church from Paul, who in this, this pastor was facing difficulties in a very difficult culture, much like ours. He was facing um, resistance from people in the community, even in, in the church. But this, this young man was responsible to teach and lead and guide a congregation with this group of leaders. And this is, listen to what Paul tells him. I don't have the scripture, but listen to what Paul tells him in 2 Timothy 4.2. He says this, preach the word. Say the word. Come on, say it like you mean it. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, 
rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instructions from the word. The premises, the premise of all we do here at the church comes from the word. Why do we do church that way? Because it's in the word. Why do we care about the lost? Because it's in the word. Why, why, why is it that we don't make church about, we don't take a poll and say, hey, can you just check the box? What seven things would you like to see in the church this year? You know why we don't do that? Because it doesn't matter what we want. It matters what Jesus wants in his church. And that's what we need to understand. And so if you go to a church and leave a church, I don't like that. And you go to this church, I don't like him. Or you go to this church, I don't like the drums. And you go to that church, that lighting's too dark for me. Listen, it's not about you. It's about Jesus fulfilling his mission on the earth to a lost and dying generation. Who's going to reach them? The church is. All right, let's go home. That was good, all right. So today we're learning from the Word, but not just the Word, we're learning from the, we're learning from the Word made flesh, and His name is Jesus. So today, Jesus, as we're continuing this journey through the book of Mark, Jesus is telling another story. And we're going to be learning from this, from this amazing story Jesus told. And he's talking about planting a seed. Now, I grew up in a very agricultural um, part of the world where I saw every year the plowing, the planting, the growing, the harvesting, and then it starts again every year. I grew up and I worked some of those farms as a teenager through high school. And today is, and, and, and I remember looking at all of that, and Jesus today is talking about some planting and growing. He's talking about farming. If you, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense why he would be doing that. Because the people he's talking to grow, that's what they do. They grow their own plants. They eat their food that they grow. They understand that that's what farming is about. It's a part of their society. They, they, they don't go to the grocery store and grab a, a, a thing of oats. They go and get it themselves. They see the, the, the farm. They see the, the, the plants. They see the, the farmer who harvests them and sells them. They see it all. They don't order it on Amazon and it shows up at their front door, okay? If Jesus was living today, he would give some illustration about Amazon. But he's talking to these people so they can understand what he's saying. And everyone under, understood this. And so we come to this parable where, where Jesus is talking about a seed, but actually he's not talking about a seed. He's talking about the kingdom of God. So I titled this today, Living in and Receiving from the kingdom of God. So let's jump in to Jesus talking to these people as we walk through the book of Mark. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Now there's a lot of, of people who have a lot of assumptions of what the kingdom of God is like. They think, well, it's this and it's this and it's that and this is what it means. And, this is, and some of them are true. Some of them are, are great, probably speculation. Some of them might be true. Some of them are false. But here we have Jesus saying, this is what it is actually like. And since he's the one that defines what the kingdom of God is like, we should listen when he says this is what the kingdom of God is like. And this is what he says. The kingdom of God is like a man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So he's talking about seeds here. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, 
then the full kernel of the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And now he gets a little bit more specific. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we, what story shall I tell you to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. Everybody say mustard seed. Which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Now, we know that this is not the smallest seed on the earth. But Jesus was not going to, he was not going to reveal that to them. Actually, the smallest seed on the earth is from a town in South America. They'd be like, what's South America? He's not going to tell them that. He's telling them about what they know in their culture. It's the smallest seed in existence to them. Yet, when planted, speaking of the mustard seed, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And really, for me, the kingdom of God is a, is a bit of a mystery. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't know exactly how it impacts things or why it impacts things. Because I see, I see things happening in people's lives, and I think, I have no idea how God did that. I have no idea how God restored something. I have no idea how the kingdom of God all of a sudden began to alter them. And I think it happened all of a sudden. But according to Jesus, there has been a, there has been a plant growing that started from something very small that they allowed in their lives to cultivate, to be grown. And all of a sudden, the fruit that we see of a transformation transformed life is actually something that had begun maybe a while ago. I don't know how, how God restores marriages. I don't know how God brings the lost that, that, are, that used to walk with him and then have been making all these horrible decisions comes back. I don't know how he does that, but the kingdom of God does it. It is at work. It is always doing something. It's always altering people's futures, people's lives, people's minds. I know this, that the kingdom of God can transform people's lives forever, can transform your family forever. The kingdom of God, the principles of God and the kingdom of him can transform cities, can transform a church, can transform a pastor. And all of the time we talk often about, man, I just revival, God bring revival, God bring revival. Listen, a revival doesn't show up one day. A revival has been cultivated from a seed that has been allowed to germinate in our soil. It's, it, it's been covered in prayer. Yes, I want revival in our church. I want revival in our city. But it starts with a seed. It starts with, with a church that's committed to allowing God to move in them and through them without their preferences being more superior than the will of God. It starts with a group of unselfish people who say, God, my, my prayer life and my conversations with the people around me are more about what you want and less about what I want. And then God can begin to do something in our midst. But until then, we keep germinating. We keep watering the seed. It's a mystery how God just brings forth something. But it's the kingdom of God. It was because there was a seed there. And we see the fruit of it, but actually it's been growing the whole time. 
Now, we're talking about a mustard seed today. Most of us, when you hear mustard seed, you're thinking of the hot dog or the bratwurst you had last week. And it's close to lunchtime, and so I'll stop talking about it. But the reason why Jesus talked about mustard seeds was because the mustard plant, there was a lot of them. In the, in the days, in, in, the, in the area of the Sea of Galilee when he was speaking, and really a seed is even a mystery. Like you plant this seed and then, and then it gets some water in it, and all of a sudden it produces something out of this little hard kernel of seed. As a matter of fact, he even said in, this, in the passage, he said that, that we don't know how it grows. Oh, yeah, we, we know how it grows. But have you ever wondered how does it know to grow? Why does it grow? All through high school I actually worked at a place, it was called the University of Illinois Ag Center, and it was located at the very southern tip of Illinois. And so we did a lot of um, tests down there with different plants. And one of the things that we would do is we would, we would plant different plots of corn, soybean, or milo, or whatever it is you would. We'd plant it. We would, we would section it off. We would label it. And then we would treat it with different fertilizers or different um, chemicals. And then as it grew up, we would then take leaves. This is part of my job throughout the summer. We would take leaf samples of the, uh, the corn or the soybeans. We would dry them. We would grind them. I would then, we would then package them and you'd label them. And we'd send them off to the University of Illinois. So you didn't know I was a scientist, did you? It was grunt work, but I loved it. It was fun. But I remember always thinking, like, so we put this seed in the ground, and then this, how does this seed know how to grow? How does it, like, who put the mechanism inside this thing that when the right environment, it produces thousands of other seeds, of fruit, something you can eat from, from a seed? It's actually remarkable. And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a seed, but just not any seed. He says a mustard seed. So I want us to look at what is, what is this that God is talking about, the kingdom of God. Let's look at truths about God's kingdom. And I pray that they minister to you and you have revelation today on things that you maybe never had before. But number one about the truth about God's kingdom is this, it just takes a little seed to start something really big. It just takes a little seed to start something really big. It just takes a little bit of God's word that you allow to transform something in your life to do something really big. So a mustard seed, I don't know if you're aware of it. You want to just, I want to tell you real quick how small it is. You can fit 200 mustard seeds on the face of a penny. A mustard seed can fit on the head of a pen. It almost takes 1,000 mustard seeds to weigh around an ounce. And now, so Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Think about the kingdom of God through Jesus on this earth. Just think about this for a moment. The kingdom of God came crashing into the world, not a full-grown man, not from a place of dominance and power and prestige in, in a palace. He came very small. The kingdom of God infiltrated this world and our lives through a babe in a manger. This is the mustard seed that turned the world upside down and is still transforming nations and people today. But that seed, even, even forget the, the baby in a manger. 
The kingdom of God came into this earth in a, a seed in a woman's womb that was touched by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to a baby named Jesus. This baby didn't look very promising, tucked away in a little, in a, in a little cave somewhere, and there's animals around them, surroundings of a humble beginning. It didn't seem like it was going to yield a very good crop, this, God's plan to bring his kingdom into the world. I could have picked a much better way, but it was like a mustard seed that was planted. And this is what we know. This is what I know as I look at Scripture. God loves specializing. He specializes and loves to take very small things or small individuals or things that people, people who think they're small or think God really can't use them and making them do incredible things. He just, if we could just allow, allow just a little bit of the word of God to fall in our lives and for us to obey it, then he will use it to do amazing things through our lives. There was a man named Joseph in the book of Genesis who really was a nobody in his family. Out of 12 brothers, he was the youngest. Everyone hated him, but God used him as a seed to do something big. He landed in Pharaoh's house, and God blessed him and used him, and God used him to preserve God's people and change the course of history from a little mustard seed. God used a man named Gideon who was the least of his entire family. It was known. It's biblical. How would you like that? Like you're like, yeah, that's uh, so-and-so. He's bigger and better than me. That's so-and-so. They're bigger and better than me. There's that one. Yeah, but they're really talented. That one, oh, he can dunk a basketball. I can't. So anyway, I'm just the least of all of us. And so God says, yeah, I like that. Gideon, you're the youngest, you're the smallest, you're the least respected out of all the tribes. And God says, I'll use that little man and give him a little army and defeat the largest, biggest army of the day. He took a mustard seed. Esther had a very difficult life. Nobody really knows what happened to her parents. She was living with her uncle. And so there was this, she, she, she became, in, in all reality, she became an, 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 a, a servant. And so she came into some, some, some certain circumstances that brought her before the king. And God used the smallness, the mustard-sized smallness of her life to influence a king and spare God's people. What, what from? It will from a mustard seed. And this is what God does. He loves to use little things, insignificant things, things that people think, I can't be used, or God won't use that. The prophet Zechariah was grieved that a place of worship for God's people had been destroyed, and so he began helping rebuild the temple. It wasn't incredibly glorious, but it was special, it was important. And it looked small. And it looked insignificant. And the prophet Zechariah, though it didn't look promising, didn't look like much was happening, this is what he said out of Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise the mustard seed of the word of God that you apply to your life, that you read every day, that you get it in you, that you obey it, that you come and you worship together for us as a church family. Don't despise those times. Never despise the day of small beginnings. But, but we're Americans. 
And we do it big. Nobody wants to start small. You're right. Everybody wants the big start. Everybody wants the the overnight success. Everybody wants the, the big start on the big stage, but they're unwilling to start small. People refuse to serve, to give. They have no need, or they have an incredible need to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to, to people to know my name. Remember the song Fame? I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna know how to fly fame. Want me to dance? I'm not gonna dance. No good. That's what we want. Man, God's called me, God's called me to, to, to reach thousands. All right, could you stop by reaching your neighbor? Why? I've got thousands to reach. God's going to use me to, to, to sing in front of hundreds of people. Great. Can you, can you start by serving on the worship team? No. I've got hundreds to sing to somewhere else. I want to teach the Word of God. I'm called to be a teacher. Great. Will you help teach your Sunday school? No. Because I want to teach thousands. Mustard seed. Most people have incredible destinies. But they despise small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. This is what Jesus is telling us today. And I'll tell you this today. If a job in God's kingdom is beneath you, then you will never cultivate the mustard seed in you and experience the big things that God has for your life. I want to have influence on on people can you start by greeting people as they come to church and just smiling and giving hugs to people and loving people and making sure they, they know where the bathroom is? Well, I don't want to do that. Okay. Until you start small, according to Scripture, until you have a servant's heart, you'll never achieve the dream that's in your life. You guys with me? This is what God is saying. Embrace the small seed. Cultivate it. Keep a servant's attitude. And it will grow. Which leads us to the second truth about God's kingdom. Number two. Once planted, God's kingdom never stops growing. Once it's planted, once we, we water it, once we cultivate it, once it starts growing, it will never stop growing. In other words, there is zero, nada, There is not a reverse gear in God's kingdom. It moves forward constantly. It doesn't stall out. It doesn't back up. It doesn't know defeat. It is not intimidated. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The kingdom of God constantly moves forward. Amen? That's why Jesus said in Mark 4.32, he said this, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all gardens. Once it's planted, once it's rooted in servanthood, when it's, when it's, once it's rooted, 
It begins to grow. And a mustard plant can grow to 15 feet. It's a huge plant for this little mustard seed. The same is true for the kingdom of God. See, we want, we want God's kingdom to just like, boom, come crashing in. Boom, here it is. Look, gold flakes. God's kingdom's here. There's, there's rubies in my Bible. Look, God's kingdom's here. God's kingdom isn't designed to be a tidal wave or a lightning bolt. We like it. So it comes in, the t- it comes in, the lightning, boom, it's gone. It's designed to stand the test of time and grow continuously forward, never ending, always proceeding, always making a difference, always taking ground and steadily and it will never quit on the face of the planet. That's the kingdom of God. I think you could clap louder, but that's okay. We'll move on. I'm just kidding. It's okay. Now, think about this. The beginnings of of, of the kingdom of God through Jesus. Think about the small beginnings. Who could have ever imagined a group of, of 12 people that were small Nobody really knew who they were. That out of these 12 men, we're here today studying the word of God because those 12 men said yes to a small beginning. Today, there are over 2.4 billion people on, on the planets that are followers of Jesus. In 1949, it was estimated there was less than 400,000 Christians in China. Today, conservative estimate, there's 163 million Christians in China. Why? It's the kingdom of God moving forward, constantly growing. By 2030, it's estimated to be 245 million Christians in China. When God plants a seed of his kingdom... It never stops growing. It never stops growing. That's the beauty of God's kingdom. God's kingdom will continue to grow until one day in heaven there will be a multitude too large to count. It's the, the purpose of God's kingdom is to encompass the purpose of God, which is to reach the lost of the world, to bring freedom so that people can know God, they can find freedom, they can discover purpose, and then they can make a difference with their lives by expanding the kingdom of God more and more. But listen to what John says what's going to happen one day in heaven. Revelation chapter 7. He says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, from every tribe, from every people, every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. The growth of God's kingdom isn't just about numeric growth. But I want you to know it is about numeric growth. But it's not just about numeric growth. It's about what also grows in us. So this kingdom of God, lots of questions about it. 
Usually when you think of kingdoms, you think of thrones or armies or nations. But Jesus actually taught that there are two aspects of God's kingdom. There's a future kingdom when Jesus will rule, thank God, and rule and reign this earth, this whole earth when he returns. That's going to be a great day. But for now, the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God really has these two tensions that we live in. There are, there is, it is now, but not yet. There are things that the kingdom of God does and what God does now today that do happen now. Does he heal today? Yes. Does he deliver today? Yes. Are there signs and wonders? Yes. Does it always happen? No. So we live in this tension of God's kingdom now and not yet. Now and not yet. We seek God to meet us now through the principles and the power of his kingdom, but also we trust in his sovereignty that that. There are some things we're going to get now and some things we're going to get later. So now and not yet. There's always a lot of questions. But I thought if God's kingdom is here, then everything should be just like heaven. If that was the case, no one would ever die. You would never get a cold. When you hit your your finger with a hammer, you'd say, hallelujah. Because we live, because <laughs> we live in a tension in God's kingdom that there are things that are evident now, but there are things that are not yet. One day, there will be no sorrow, no sickness, no tears, no death. One day. But we can still experience God's peace, God's healing, that God wipes away our tears on this earth. We can experience deliverance. We can experience breaking the back of addiction in our life now. But does it always happen? No. So God's kingdom is in this tension of now we experience it. But not yet. And so this this kingdom of God, this mustard seed, is moving things forward. It's moving things so that we that are growing, that's growing inside of us, we can have peace. We can have righteousness. We can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. Like a mustard seed, there, there should be this growing awareness in our lives of righteousness, how we're living, of peace. That we're, we're, that we're asking God, God, meet me today fresh and new. Give me peace and joy in our lives. But there's also other things that the mustard seed illustrates about God's kingdom on this earth. And this is the last truth about God's kingdom. Is number three. It gives protection for all who are in it. God's kingdom gives protection for all who are in it. Let's look at Mark 4. With such big branches, speaking of the mustard tree, that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Now remember, Jesus never said anything that he was like, well, that really doesn't mean anything. No, everything he says means something. So what does this mean? The branches of this mustard tree, which represent his kingdom, the birds of the air can perch in its shade. This is about protection. Just as the grown mustard tree gives protection and shade for birds in the kingdom, for birds, the kingdom of God provides our safety, provides our protection, provides our shelter. 
That's what God's kingdom is. If you are in God's kingdom, you are protected. That's why Psalm 91.1 says this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The work of Jesus through what God has done through his son Jesus has, has established God's kingdom on this earth, which is the kingdom of God, and we can rest in it, and it can rest in us. So the benefits of being in God's kingdom, number one is this, that it gives us this freedom from God's wrath. The kingdom of God, if you have committed your life to Jesus, you're in God's kingdom. You're in the tree, in the garden, in its shade. You're free from God's wrath. And here's the reality. God's wrath is real. You don't hear a whole lot about God's wrath, but it is real. It's very biblical. But God's wrath isn't what we think. It's not like, it's not like God wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and gets frustrated and he, emotion, he, like, um, he responds emotionally about something and, can, and hurts someone or, or, or pushes someone. No, no, no. That's not God's wrath. It's, it's, a, it's the spiritual law set into place. You see, God is a holy God. He is holy. He can't change that. He is just. He will not change. Scripture says God does not change. He's not like a shadow that changes. He is, he is always the same. And that's why when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they sinned, they rebelled against God. God had to remove them from his presence because holiness and sin cannot dwell together because holiness will kill the individual of, that has sin in them. God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. But then God makes a way that we can escape his wrath. The wrath is simply this. The holiness of God as it encounters sin, that's the wrath. It, it, it destroys that which is in sin. So if you violate God's holiness, you will suffer from God's wrath. Meaning if you don't do things God's way, it's impossible to receive God's blessing. So the wrath of God that the Bible talks about it sounds kind of scary. The wrath that the Bible talks about is the wrath of God towards the filth of the world or towards nations. And we see that wrath happening sometimes. But here's the deal. That wrath is at God's discretion. He is sovereign. It happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen. I don't know why. But there's another wrath that's coming in the final judgment of the world that will be poured out on everything and everyone that is not in Christ. Everyone and everything that is evil and not holy. But here's the good news. God made a way to escape it. And it's the kingdom of God. See, many people think, oh, you know what, it's a it's good, good thing Jesus came along. Because Jesus is the one that convinced God not to pour out his wrath on the earth and destroy everyone. No, 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 no. It was God's idea that, no, that he knew, I cannot, I, I cannot change my character and the holiness. And when holiness comes in contact with sin, holiness overcomes. And sin or the sinful individual person dies. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a way so that my kids can come back to me. He hasn't changed, but he made a way by sending his own son. By sending his son. And Jesus obeying the Father's heart to rescue. That's why it says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. So that whoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, can have everlasting life. That's why it says that. It was God's idea to spare us. It was out of his love, his care, his concern. He couldn't change his character, but he could make a way for those to be tucked in Jesus, seen as righteous and holy, so that now we are seen as holy and we can be in relationship with the Father. That's good news. That's why Romans 5, 9 says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, speaking of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through his son Jesus? How many say amen to that? That is good news. Meaning this, that Christ, in Christ, through Christ, you become exempt. Just like if you ever fill out your taxes and you're so happy to write exempt. How many exemptions? Yes, I write that down. Because you're exempt from taxes in these particular areas. You are exempt from wrath if you were in Christ. Because God has hidden you. In Jesus, because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you and the whole world, which is the only way to escape God's wrath, is to be in Jesus Christ, which brings you into the kingdom and you can hang out underneath the shade of the mustard plant and just relax because you've escaped God's wrath because of his love for you. He's made a way. He made a way that we could be in his presence through his son, Jesus Christ. He made a way to change us from being enemies of him to now being friends of him. And we're a part of his family. And he made that way through his son, Jesus Christ, covering us and bringing us and making us citizens of his kingdom. That is good news, my friends. And we all say amen. That's good news. Listen, the second, the second benefit of the kingdom of God is he gives us this. He gives us rest for our weary souls. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you struggling? Are you exhausted? This is what he says. This is his invitation. Look at Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and burden. He doesn't say shame on you because you're weary and burdened. Well, if only you would have done what I told you to do, then you wouldn't be where I can't believe that you're where you know real Christians wouldn't be where no, he doesn't say that. He says, Come to me. Because he understands like birds, we fly and we're tired and we can't stay in the air the whole time. And the kingdom of God always offers us rest. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am, listen to what he is. He is gentle, he is humble, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what the kingdom of God gives to you. He puts a a light load on you. We are just like the birds. We need a place to land and we can find our peace and rest in the kingdom of God. Many of us are so tired of going and going and going and working and working and going. 
If you need a place to rest, Jesus said, hey, I'll give you a place to rest. That's why I came. I'll give you the rest that you need. Jesus used, always he used the care for birds because they seem so little and so cute and like insignificant. But he talks about how much he cares for them. And if he cares for them, how much more would he care for you? You're the apple of his eye. He designed you. He created you. He knit you together in his mother's womb. He has a plan for you. He doesn't want you to carry the weight that you're carrying today. He doesn't want you trapped in the sin that you're trapped in today. He doesn't want you in this broken relationship of your marriage or with your children or with your family. He doesn't want you there. And so he has made a way that you can find rest from your weary soul because he's good and he loves you. The last benefit of God's kingdom that we're looking at is this. If you're in God's kingdom, you have eternal security. I've said this before. Most of us live in eternal insecurity. Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? No, no. If you're in God's kingdom, you're in. And the door is shut and locked behind you. John 10, 28 says this, and this is Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life, and, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Say no one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 5, 24 says this, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And I will, I will not be judged, sorry, and yeah, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So you will not, if you are in him, you will not be judged. And you have crossed over from death to life. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God. Your life of peace, your life of rest, joy is found in allowing the seed of the word of God to be planted in your life, to put your trust in his goodness, put your trust in his kingdom, and to rest that you are in his kingdom. And now you can be a part of expanding his kingdom. The seed of the kingdom is small, my friends, but it is unstoppable, it is relentless. And it is filled with everything that you need. So the question is today from God's kingdom that's in you and around you, what do you need? What do you need from God's kingdom today? Do you have peace? Or do you need peace? Do you need peace today? It's time just to say, Lord, I need some peace. I need to rest in you. I need to quit striving and trying and just rest in you. Do you need deliverance from addiction or from lust or from unforgiveness? The answer is found in the kingdom of God. It's found in who he is. It's found in the family that you're a part of. And if you're not a part of God's family, today your salvation is found through his son, Jesus Christ, which brings you into the kingdom. Do you need financial provision that can flow from the kingdom of God? 
Do you need a spiritual awakening of the areas of your spirit that have become deadened? You become apathetic? Do you need healing in your body? It can come from God's kingdom, the reality of his kingdom. Do you need assurance and rest in the midst of pain? While you're in this place of not yet, are you asking God to give you peace? One of the most moving passages of Scripture out of Hebrews 11 that, that is written, God is, is, the writer of Hebrews is talking about how God honored these people of faith, that they were still believing for the promise of God's provision while they died. And they made it into what we call the hall of faith, written about. They weren't written because they got what they were believing for on this earth. They were written about because they continued to believe while they were on this earth. And so if you're in this now and not yet, God's kingdom wants to give you peace. He wants to give you assurance. But he also wants you to hear, not yet. It's coming. Trust me, but I'll meet you where you are today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.